Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, like you, words are the main thing that I do. But there are still these words that I have to look up every single time I run across them. You have that experience, right? Yeah, because you're not 100% sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. And I think my resolution for this year is that I want to be really mindful of that, really pay attention to those words, because I think that's the way I'm going to learn them. Sort of like I'm trying to teach myself to remember where I left my car keys. Mm -hmm. By I, I read in a book that you should just tell yourself I'm putting my car keys on the table, uh, right? Okay. So whenever I come across a word like this, I'm going to just stop what I'm doing and tell myself I'm looking up this word and learning it once and for all. Ah. And the latest one that I did was innervate. Innervate. Why? Yeah. What was holding you back on that one? Well, you know what? It, I mean, when I look at the word innervate, I think it means something about agitation or I, I, Doesn't or it mean energizing to take you. the nerves out of somebody or something? Yes, that's literally what it means. Okay. It literally to take... Like deveining shrimp, enervating shrimp, maybe? No? Thank you. That's that's. Pr- I never <laughs> thought about it that way. But yeah, yeah, it goes back to a Latin word that, that means either nerve or sinew mm, or bowstring. Interesting. And if you think about it that way, if you think about enervating as taking the nerves out, then you're going to create a situation where something lacks vitality or strength. So we, these days we use it figuratively more than literally, right? We enervate somebody by telling them, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't get the job, and they yeah. were enervated, something wah, like that. Wah, wah. Yeah. yeah, sad, sad trombone. trombone. <laughs> yeah, so now now I've got that association, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to forget it. This is my resolution. I think okay. if, I, if I do this maybe once a day, then, you know, I'll have <laughs> 365 new words. Perfect, right? The word of day calendars. <laughs> my own personal, yeah. <laughs> we know there's a word that stumps you. Uh, you forget the spelling, you forget the meaning. No maybe, matter how many times no you look at it. No matter how many times you look at it. You look it up and 15 seconds later you still can't remember (laughs) we know that word we know you have it 877-929-9673 email words at waywardradio.org hello you have a way with words hi this is kat and i'm calling from dallas texas welcome to the show what's on your mind okay well i am actually originally from the state of delaware and that is where i met my uh, ex-husband and he would say do what for instance, if I say something and you don't quite catch it, you know, you might say what or say again or pardon me, but he'd say do what? And he's the only person I ever knew who said that. We moved to Ohio and I was there for six years. No one said it. So it was just him. I thought it was some weird thing. Then I moved, transferred it to Texas office 
everybody says do what <laughs> and it drives me crazy and i thought i would be lazy and see if you would do the research for me <laughs> well welcome to texas That's welcome, what we're here for. welcome to the true south or texas maybe is not really the south <laughs> depends which texan you talk to it's just texas yeah so cat this is spoken with an upward inflection then i say say hey cat come over here do what exactly do what yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I used to associate this with Gomer Pyle, but now I sort of, when I hear this expression, I picture Matthew McConaughey. Oh, Can't you okay. just see him <laughs> yeah, saying, do totally what? Yeah, totally can, yep. Yeah. Completely. And you will find this all over the South. Um, do oh. what? As, Almost exclusively, except yep. by people who learned it from Southerners. They live elsewhere in the country. Yep, and, and yeah, and clearly in Texas. It's interesting that there are a couple of different versions of this. Sometimes you'll hear people say, do how? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or do which? Or do what now? Yeah, yeah, or do what now? But yeah, um, I've got family that says that, and they use the disbelief oh, really? kind of version. Their do what is yeah. the do, like? What is this foolish thing that you just said? Mm-hmm. Basically, not that they didn't understand you, but they mm-hmm. think you just said something dumb. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure what the structure of that expression is all about. I'm not sure that you can really break it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I picked it up when I lived in Tennessee. Um, do what? And it was sort of like. At least in my mind, mm-hmm. it was like, you want me to do what? You, oh. How How is it that I can help you? Right. Even though there might not have been an implicit action involved in the thing that they misheard or the thing that the other person said, right? Yeah. So I think that's where yeah. the, does the do throw you? Did that throw you? Well, no, what threw me was the what, because now I will say do what if I know you just asked me to do something. I'll right. say do what? Right. But these people, they'll say do what? And my... When I first got here, I would say, do nothing, just listen. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that went over well. (laughs) Well, no, he was a young kid, and he's great, and he told me he thinks that it's just a polite way of doing saying it and i said well i don't really think it is because it implies that i'm asking you to do more than just listen oh and even i'm not even asking that just you don't hear me it's just weird to me so it's just do what yeah that's the problem with idiomatic expressions i say this all the time break it down don't break it down into its component parts it is what it is it is simply means what and it's nothing else to it it's just the same as say again or come again or what was that oh you know, as soon as everybody hears this call, they're going to come talk to you and tell you exactly how do what fits into their lexicon. <laughs> well, the thing is, I've been in Texas for almost two years now, and I refuse to say it. Oh, I really? I refuse to pick it up. And so when I do say do what, and if anyone tries to point out, say, oh, look, I say, no, you asked me to do something. <laughs> I, I didn't quite catch what you wanted me to do. And they're like foiled again. But yeah, that's Kat, the one thing I refuse to pick Kat, up. Pat, I'm going to make an appointment with you right now. Put this in your day book. On the day when you actually say it for the first time, I'm unselfconsciously, you have to call us because it's coming. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to pop. It's so useful. It's going to pop right out and you won't even realize it until a little bit later. It's the gift that keeps on giving it- from your ex-husband, it sounds like, right? <laughs> oh, well, he's, a, he's a lovely guy. Don't hold it against him. He can't help it. He was raised wrong. Oh! oh. All of Texas just went up in arms. <laughs> All of Texas is saying, do what? <laughs> Cat, we're going to let you go now because you're digging a deep (laughs) hole that I don't think you can climb out of. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you, Cat. Call us again sometime, all right? Will do. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, it's amazing how much you can say about a little expression like that. We'd like to hear the ones you want to talk about, so call us, 877-929-9673, or send those sayings to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. a few 
episodes, I was talking about my friend Carol, who has a turtle that she just puts away in her closet for the winter because Mm -hmm. the turtle hibernates. Yes, I remember. Well, we heard from David Beiswinger, who said, Martha, you said you had a friend whose turtle hibernates. Don't reptiles brumate? Brumate? Yes. How do you spell that? B-R-U-M-A-T-E. And what is that? Well, it's the way that reptiles hibernate, which apparently is a little bit different from the way uh, mammals hibernate. For example, they um, they wake up and drink water. I mean, it's a slightly different okay. way, but I looked online and there's actually some controversy about whether one should uh, specify brumate. But the point is that there's a wonderful word for wintry, which is brumal in uh, English. I've heard that B-R-U-M-A-L. One. So brumate means basically to hibernate during the winter? Yeah, they're, kind of. they're very, very, very similar. Hmm. But That's but, pretty cool. So not yeah. quite as like knocked out as, say, a frog that has immersed, immersed itself in the mud all, all winter. Yes, right? or frozen. frozen. You know those wood yeah. frogs that freeze all winter? But anyway, if you're tired of talking about wintry weather, you can also talk about brumal weather. The weather will still be there, though. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Emily calling from Colchester, Vermont. Hey, Emily, how you doing? Hey there, what's up? I'm doing well. Um, I'm calling with a question that uh, my mom actually told our family about at a Sunday dinner. She was at a, a meeting at work, and one of her coworkers was telling a story. Something happened to her, and um, in the story, she said, "Well, I, I told so and so, you know, hark your racket and." Everybody in the meeting said, what? You told her to what? Harp your racket? Park your racket? No, she's like, no, no, no. Hark your racket. You know, like, hark the herald angels sing. And nobody, yeah, nobody in the room had ever heard of it before. And they asked where she got it. And she said, oh, you know, it's a Vermont thing. Okay, so hark your racket, it doesn't have anything to do with tennis, though. (laughs) Apparently not. It just (laughs) meant, you know, be quiet or, Ah. you know. Pipe down or yeah, stop mouth. complaining. Oh, Close yeah. Your eye hole. I don't have anything for that exact phrase. Obviously, hark means listen. In hark the heralds, it means listen to the heralds. Mm-hmm. And racket is a word for noise that probably originally came from a word having to do with rattle or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make a, a like annoying noise. Yeah. yeah. So it means listen to your noise. But I don't find that exact phrase anywhere except there's something close to it in our favorite lexicographical work, the Dictionary of American Regional English at, at daredictionary.com. And they have an entry for Hark Your Noise, dating from the 1940s. And the citations are from Michigan, Wisconsin, and Maine. And so I think Maine is close enough to Vermont. There's only four citations here. I bet if we looked at length, we could probably find a lot more and find that it's particular to that part of the country as well. Interesting. Yeah. So Hark your noise, and is the meaning the same? Yeah, like, like yeah. Sort of watch your noise level. Yeah, basically, or, yeah. be mindful of all the noise you're making. Did you realize that uh, you're being loud? Uh, basically, is what the the subtext is. Interesting. Well, that's fantastic. So you said Michigan, Wisconsin, and Maine yeah, from the forties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a couple from Maine here, but they're all of these are in the form hark your noise rather than hark your racket. But I could see how you could easily replace the word noise with racket. So the citations appear from the 40s, and then they kind of fall off from there. Like uh, 40s, the 50s, activity. 70s. Yeah, they're not that common. It's not that well-known. But, you know, with this kind of language, it is not uncommon for something to exist in abundance and just be barely recorded, even in the specialty mm. dictionaries like this one. Mm. That's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to take my call and answer my question. I will tell my mom that 
it's not just this person, but some other folks in other parts of the country as well, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah she's, tell her to hark her racket, and, <laughs> and you want to talk to her. Thank you for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Right, bye, Emily. Bye-bye. Well, we want to hark your racket. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send your joyful noise an email, if you can do that, to words at waywardradio.org. Writing recently in the Financial Times, Lucy Kellaway had a column that I found really interesting. It was about how she's now in her 50s, and she doesn't have the same level of fear at work that she used to. Mm-hmm. And and it made me think, you know, when you're a lot younger, a lot of times when you're in a work situation, you do have a certain amount of fear, and, and you often develop a kind of fearlessness as you get older, as your competency improves. But there was one line here that um, really jumped out at me. She was going around and asking if other people felt the same way. And then she said, my tentative conclusion is that I am bog standard. Bog standard, yeah. Do you know this term? It's a British term. Yes. Yeah. Yes, a Britishism. That means ordinary, run-of-the-mill, uh, uh, bog just standard. Just like the bog, which is, depending on your dialect, it's the bathroom. Uh-huh. Or the, the restroom, the place yes. you do your business. Yes, yes. And a bog roll is, is a roll of toilet paper, right. apparently. Yeah. I didn't know this. And um, I started digging around because, of course, I was curious about uh, where we ever got a term like bog standard. And apparently... The origin is in dispute. Some people think maybe it has to do with box standard, that is something coming straight out of the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the research for that isn't quite solid. Imagine that, a slang word where the, the yeah. origins are in dispute. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in any case, I really love the notion, yeah. bog standard. Bog standard. Just the utter run-of-the-mill, yeah. we might say vanilla in this country. It, that's a great... Even great, though vanilla yeah. is actually a flavor and not actually no flavor. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but let's not get into that. Let's not. But bog standard. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Try us on Facebook and Twitter. And you know, we've got a discussion forum on our website, waywardradio.org, where you'll find every episode of the show for free. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And on the line with us from New York City is the one, the only, John Chinesky. Hi, it's me, John Chinesky. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi John. John. Hi, Grant. So you're Good. still the quiz guy, right? I am still our quiz guy. I always uh, imagine as long you as you'll have with me. like quizzes what? out of every pocket, stuff into your socks, you know, in the soles of your <laughs> yeah. shoe. Like instead of a hat, you're wearing quizzes with a rubber band around your head. Behind that's, your that's ear. When I go to the boardwalk and they do a, a caricature of me, that's that's what they, the guy does. A giant head and then a tiny body with papers and quizzes falling right. out. Yeah. Now, if I reach into this pocket here, I uh-huh. pull out yeah. this quiz right here. Sure. Right. Yeah. Let's see what that's Now, about. you know, it seems flippant to put it in a puzzle, but when one day the age of man comes to a close and a new species becomes dominant on the planet, there will be some changes, guys. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking, of course, of the rise of the ungulates. Yes. Yeah. Let's take a look at an average citizen of an average city of the cow-filled future. Okay. <laughs> now, in Cowtown, some things will remain the same. For example, our friend Mookie, that's, that's her name, Mookie the cow, Mookie still likes some of the same things we do, or did. 
Mookie's weekend plans include watching a Raging Bull, The Count of Monte Cristo, mm. and Milk. She's a big fan of movies. Oh, okay. okay, gotcha. Got okay. it. Now, um, here are some more things. Now, remember, be sure to bring the moo out. Oh, okay. it's all moo. <laughs> In the answer, it's all right? moos. Okay. All things with moos. Oh, okay. Mookie's favorite old-timey movie star, though, is the attractive star of Ghost, Indecent Proposal, and A Few Good Men. Demi Moore. Oh, That's Demi it. Moore. Okay. Demi I was just Moore. coming up with, with Whoopi and Patrick. <laughs> I know. Like, Whoopi. Of course, Mookie has a job, but times are tough for young cow out there. She works another job after hours. What does she call this? Moonlighting. Moonlighting. Yes. Very nice. Now, when Mookie gets paid, of course, it's in cow dollars, mm-hmm. but she calls it by a slang term. Moolah. Moolah. <laughs> Moolah. Mookie is always looking to get ahead, though. She knows a good way to do this is to network. So when she's at a cocktail party, she indulges in this activity with powerful people. Schmoozing. <laughs> Schmoozing. Mooching. <laughs> Mooching, yeah, why not? Mookie even has a pet. Whereas we keep dogs and cats around for company, she keeps a large, flightless bird. Emu. <laughs> Emu. Ancient literature from the time of the primates interests Mookie, especially children's books. She's fascinated by Megan McDonald's plucky third-grade heroine from a series of books in which she saves the world, predicts the future, and has a not-bummer summer. Um, Judy Moody. Mm, yes, Judy Moody. <laughs> Finally, uh, Mookie likes to kick back with a nice blended drink containing yogurts and fruits, ignoring the ethical concerns. <laughs> A smoothie. <laughs> a smoothie is right. And you guys were very smooth on that quiz. You did fantastic. Oh, nice job. Thank you very much. Sakes. Thank you very much. I, really I, just do anything, I just do anything I can to get you to sound embarrassing on I the know. radio. I know. Are we going to have a chicken quiz time? next week? It was week? Very, oh, very amusing. Memo to self. Yeah. Chicken quiz. Okay. Oh, Thanks, John. Man. We really appreciate it. Say hello to the wife and kids, all right? I will those cows coming home. I'll head back to the barnyard. Yes, thanks. <laughs> Take Bye, care guys. now. Time to bring in the right. cattle. <laughs> As you can hear, this is a show about words and language and a lot of goofing off. Give us a call if you want to be a part of it, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Keisha Smith. Hi, how are you? Hey, Keisha, where are you calling us from? I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, well, thanks for being on the show. What can we do for you? Okay, I have a phrase. Uh, my mother is uh, up in age, elderly, and she's from the south. And um, and if they were, we I've heard it a million times growing up. If you do something that you know you're kind of embarrassed about, or you feel embarrassed of how you're looking, or feeling sheepish, mm-hmm. she would say you're looking like Ned in the Primer. And I'm like, what? Who is Ned in the Primer? And what is a Primer? <laughs> Interesting. Um, Keisha, where did your mother grow up? Troy, Alabama. Troy, Troy Al- Alabama. Okay, nice. All right. So what was she meaning when she said that? How did you react? Like, if I did something that's, you know, worthy of being embarrassed, as children do, <laughs> <laughs> or if you're describing something that someone did that clearly they should, you know, look, they should be embarrassed because of what they did, mm-hmm. she'd say, well, he's over there looking like Ned in the primer, <laughs> or she would, you know, 
that was how she described the embarrassing event. She would say what happened and then say, yep, you'll look like Ned in the primer. Oh, wow. And have you heard anybody else say that besides her? No, I have not. Interesting. So Ned in the primer. We know. What about Nancy? Did she ever say anything about Nancy? Yeah, she would describe a female and had an embarrassing event. I do believe there was a Nancy. I think so. Aha! Uh-huh. Well, there were a series of books with Ned and Nancy as these kid characters that were taught people to read, I think, as far back as the 1950s. And I think Ned was the troublesome young boy, and Nancy was the prim little girl, kind of stereotypical male-female separation there in the narrative. And anyway, so if you are Ned in the primer, you are... Not that bright, frankly. <laughs> oh, what, what is a primer? Oh, uh, is she uh, saying primer? Yeah, or primer, is... yeah. The, the word's got two pronunciations. So a primer or a primer, P-R-I-M-E-R, is uh-huh. a book that teaches you something. And most people in our country would know it as a book that teaches you to read. Mm-hmm. Oh, like a kid's book. Okay. Yeah, a kid's, yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, like one of the first books, like the <laughs> primary book. Yeah, the, the very, oh, like, okay. this is okay. like... Okay, so Ned was kind of the rascal, huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah just kind of the gently misbehaving boy. The use of that expression, Ned and the Primer, go back to at least the 1940s. It actually pops up in the congressional record of all places in 1948. It does, really? Yeah. It's in the... What? Yeah, wow. so it's got a good long history to it. 50, 60 years, well, right? Well, she was born in 1944, so yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> oh, there you yeah. go. So it was that already in use theory. by 1948. <laughs> huh. Right. I can huh. just picture a, a congressman talking about another congressman looking like <laughs> Ned and the Primer, huh? Well, no, they're actually talking about World War II and the Nazis, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, you'll be amazed. Isn't okay, that something? Well, thank you. That was quite helpful and enlightening. I've always wondered. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you asked that question. I'd never heard of that expression Thank you so before. much, Keisha. Well, thank you. Take care thank now. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Keisha. All right, you guys, Thanks. take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Ned and the Primer. I had never heard you that. Could, it's cute little kids, little paintings, you know, little rosy oh, sure. cheeks. Yeah, well, like the Dick and Jane stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Capering around in the yard yeah. with the dog and everything's pristine and perfect. Yeah. You know but how those ne- books tend to be. Yeah, but Ned sounds like a more complex character than Dick or <laughs> yeah, Jane, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, he has <laughs> issues. <laughs> Take your character and then put them in jeopardy, and that's how you <laughs> that's write an right. interesting book. <laughs> that's the advice, right? The standard writing <laughs> sure. advice? Yeah, yeah. How not Find to be boring conflict, when you're writing a right, book? Right, have that character. Character, have a want. Have, have a to want. want something. That's the idea. We want, want you, you to call, call eight us. Se- <laughs> 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. And you know what? We've got a community of people having a great time discussing language on our website at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is William from Thousand Oaks, California. Hi, William. Welcome to the show. How can we help? What's going on? Well, around the office, we've been we've been dealing with uh, a lot of tech support that does kind of this follow the sun thing that ends up in India most of the time. And we have been seeing the phrase, do the needful, a lot. And it's it's almost become sort of an inside joke around the office. And I want to know, where's it from? Do the How needful. Happen. So what's happening? Needful. What's happening when you see that phrase? What is what has led up to it? Um, like we'll a tax support request, and we get all the other stuff that happens internally, and it's being used from someone to tell someone else, "Hey, here's this thing. Just get it done." But they use "do the needful." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I learned this from Indians as well. I was working on a giant dictionary project with some partners in India, and. They would say the same thing to me in email, and I had to look it up. There's an entry for it, fortunately, in the Oxford English Dictionary. 
Um, and then I talked to some other dictionary colleagues. And they're like, yeah, I learned that from the Indians, too, because that's it's a standard part of business jargon in India. It used to be more common in English in all the varieties, and it just kind of faded away in the UK and the US, but it hung around in India. Now it comes out. And what's strange about it is that needful, it's only got this one use, basically, and it's a noun, the needful. And so it just sounds not quite right. We think of words ending in F-U-L as being adjectives rather mm-hmm. than nouns. So that's the other thing. So not only is it outside of our dialect, but it, it strikes us as being the wrong part of speech, too. What do you hmm. take it to mean? Go ahead with your, you know, your own knowledge and judgment and just get back to me when it's done. So do what you must, basically. Yeah. I work at a small consulting firm, and every time we, you know, we do a project or we find something that wasn't done properly, the, the joke around the office is, well, I guess they didn't do the needful. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. Like, the need, everyone knows about the needful. The needful is an obvious thing, right? Yeah, of course. Needful it's has like, to be done. It's like you don't the, do the needful. I can't say it on the air, but it's like the, the um, acronym for read the manual that uh, they pass yes. around in tech circles, that right? It has an F in it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that one. It, well, you know what I think is really interesting about this um, fact that it's become such jargon to the point where you all are laughing at it is that it's an expression that goes way, way back. I mean, it goes back to at least the 1680s. Mm-hmm. Do the wow. needful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's got but, a long history, but it just fell out of fashion. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, the you know, that's the thing with the dialects of English. They they hang on to things that the other dialects abandon. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's, have you ever had to prepone anything yet with your Indian friends? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> I've also had to revert. But oh, yeah. Revert meaning to reply. Revert. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> So you have to prepone the needful? Right. I mean, do it before you well, were going yeah. to do it. And then yeah. revert to me about it? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. It is. It's truly fascinating. But yeah, yeah. That, so this is, the, this is the multicultural global world we that's live in right. where the dialects, the dialects collide. That's right. And they're colliding on your desk, dude. That's right. Two more, com- yeah. the, two more countries separated by common language, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that helped make you feel a little bit better about it. You sound just a little bit like, ugh, not again. I'm, I'm going to have to do the needful later, so. <laughs> That's how you get your paycheck every week. You do the needful every day, right? Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's my job now. <laughs> All right. Well, William, thank you so much for calling. Take care now. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. We want you to do the needful, and you know what that is. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send your comments about workplace jargon to words at waywardradio.org. And there are always lively discussions going on on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter. A while back, I brought the term... Billy Badass to the show. Billy Badass. Do you remember this? This is the this is the guy in the military who's all gung ho and he's gonna go fight, fight, yeah, fight, yeah, and yeah. solve everything. And he's a tough guy. And, okay. You know he thinks of himself as like a, you know a real superhero, right? Mm-hmm. Turns out a friend of mine heard that segment and she says in firefighting and in EMT work, that is people who you know work in the ambulances, paramedics, paramedics, 
they have another term that's very similar. It's Ricky Rescue, and Ricky Rescue is <laughs> the same. He thinks that he's going to go save a life today, nice. and he gets really amped up about stuff, and he's out there all day long. We're running these fantasies through his mind uh-huh. about how he's going to be the savior, and somebody's going to remember him for life, and he's just going to you know, get an award and commendations, and it's just he's in it to win it. He's just going to rescue people no matter what. That's Ricky, Ricky Rescue. <laughs> he's going to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> risk it for the biscuit. I just heard that the other day. Yeah, so it's funny. We've got these terms um, and usually they're put downs they're not usually accolades if somebody calls you Ricky Rescue mm-hmm. or Billy Badass something tells me that there are a lot of other professions where there are terms like this yes I imagine there are if in your profession there's a term for the guy or gal who's a little too gung-ho tell me about it 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org hello you have a way with words Hi, this is Erica from New York City. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Erica. Where in New York City are you? I always have to ask. I'm in Manhattan. I'm calling from Midtown, but I live on the Upper East Side. Okay, okay. Well, I miss it. Kiss the ground for me, all right? I will. I'll say hello (laughs) to this beautiful city. (laughs) (laughs) What can we help you with, Erica? Okay, so my family has this expression um, only my immediate family has been saying, and we assumed that it was common until we would say it around other people, and they were unfamiliar with it. So the expression we say is, do you think I came in on the noon balloon? Uh, which is another way of saying, do you think I was born yesterday? Right. So, yeah, so <laughs> we have no idea where this saying came from. We've asked people in my family, extended family, older generations in the family, mm-hmm. but they're not familiar with it either. So how many so, of you weirdos say it? Well, it started, honestly, probably with my mom. Okay. And she has no idea where she got this from. And Erica, so, what do you picture when you, when you say this? I, I picture like a hot air balloon. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Yeah. So this is like Wizard somebody's trying to somebody's trying something. to pull your leg, and they're, and they're like, "No, really, you know, these four quarters are worth that five dollar bill." And you're like, "What are you, what are you trying to? <laughs> you think I came in on the noon balloon? No, I'm not giving exactly, you five dollar bill for exactly. four quarters." So who's the oldest person who says it in your family, and how old are they, and what can you tell us about them? Um, well, my mom says it. She's um, a 61. Okay. Does your mom mm. follow sports at all? Sports. Um, yeah. She's a baseball fan. Okay. Um, that's probably her biggest thing, but um, Here's why nothing I ask. else, really. There was a Frank Finch was a, uh, a columnist for the LA Times for years and years, and he loved that phrase and would throw it in there all the time. I don't know if he was syndicated around the country, but it was really colorful sports prose. It was, it, it was just anything that he could get, he would just pile in all this lingo and slang and catchphrases and invent a few of his own. He loved it. I don't think he coined it. And then there was mm-hmm. a novelty hit. In 1956, because there's a longer form of this by a guy who called himself Nervous Norvis. His real name was Jimmy Drake or James Drake. And his song was called Noon Balloon from Rangoon. And there's oh. an even longer form, which is the Noon Balloon from Rangoon is coming soon. <laughs> in June. In June, yeah. And so that was in 1956. That was a novelty hit. I mean, it was just burst on the scene. He sold hmm. like a half million copies. Then he disappeared. And is it just one of those crazy, yeah, uh, it rhymes. silly rhymes it's fun. and I did a, weird images? Years ago, I did a, a whole listing for the Among the New Words section of the Journal American Speech about rhyming phrases in English uh-huh. because we love mm. them. We just and they yeah, tend to sure. last a lot longer than phrases that don't rhyme. Right. So I'm wondering if she heard that novelty song in 1956. Maybe I mean it's he can, he sold a half million copies of it. 
you know, there were big write-ups for him and Billboard is like the wacky news star because it was, these were all goofball songs, crazy lyrics, weird sound effects, kind of twangy guitars, silly voices, that sort of thing. Were they the kind of thing you would do the twist to or the pony? I think it was a little, the... I've, it's on YouTube if you want to look it up. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. A Noon Balloon from Rangoon by James Drake or Nervous Norvis. And I think it's a little more rockability in that oh, way okay. that rock and yeah, roll yeah. used to have a lot more of the ability and not so much of the rock, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I hope this helps. Pass this on. Let us know what she says, all right? I will, definitely. Thank you very much. Right, Thanks cheers. a lot, Erica. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, nice talking to you. Nice Thanks. talking with you, too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, whether or not you came in on the noon balloon from Saskatoon or you just rode in on a load of cantaloupes, we still want to hear from you. 877-929-9673. Send an email to words at waywardradio.org and try us at the handle W-A-Y-W-O-R-D on Twitter. English has a lot of placeholder words like doohickey or thingamabob or mm-hmm. the whatchamacallit. Mm-hmm. But it turns out in law, real estate law in particular, there's a fictitious company name that they use. Yeah. But several of them. The variations are Blackacre, Whiteacre, Greenacre, Brownacre. And all of these are stand-in names so that when they're discussing a hypothetical case or the way a bit of law might go or just really discussing how these things are handled when you're transferring land or there are taxes involved and all the problems, you can just throw that in as your generic company name. So you will do this whole class about Blackacre, but okay. use that as your your way you develop your legal talents. Interesting. Without so having Black- to use a real company's name. Okay, so Blackacre, all one word. Yeah, all one Acre, word. Acre, like A-C-R-E. Mm-hmm, like a piece of land, yeah. Cool. If there's a placeholder in your field when you don't really know what to talk about or you don't want to name the thing that you're talking about, tell us what it is, 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. More stories about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We got a wonderful letter the other day that I wanted to share with you. It's from Dwayne Martin Abramowski, and he's from Upper Michigan. And he wrote to say that uh, he's what some people might call a little dyslexic. That is, he can't spell without a spell checker. And he writes, my words collect on the page like pebbles on a stormy shore. And this was really frustrating for Mm -hmm. him when he was growing up because he wanted to be a writer. And back in the 1980s, he decided to write a letter to his hero, Kurt Vonnegut. And he wrote to Kurt Vonnegut that he was struggling to get his words on the page and asked him, why am I writing? I can't spell. I can't put the words together like everybody else. How am I ever going to get published and be a writer? And do you know, Kurt Vonnegut actually wrote him back, and Dwayne sent us the letter, and, and it's beautiful with that classic, if you've ever, ever seen Kurt Vonnegut's signature, it's it's kind of wild and crazy mm-hmm. looking, but it's this, this beautiful old letter, and I wanted to share some of it with you. And the letter says, Your parents were correct in telling you that it is nearly impossible to make a living as an imaginative writer. That's not a powerful argument against writing, though. Like singing and dancing and playing catch and so on, writing can be good for you, even if the pay is zero. 
caring tremendously about some subject matters more than skill in the writing game. If you can care enough about your subject, you will become amazingly skillful. The words will arrive in their proper order. And he goes on to say later, other people can fix the spelling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How inspiring. Right. Don't worry about the hurdle as long as you can put something on the page that can be fixed later. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I thought this was just a beautiful piece of advice. Um, find your passion and write about it. And the rest the rest will take care of itself. And treat the writing as writing without thinking about market, yeah. without thinking about who's going to buy it. Right. Just do it because you like to write. Right, right. Writing and publishing are, are two different things, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm hoping, Dwayne, that you'll share this with the uh, Kurt Vonnegut Memorial Library in Indianapolis. That'd I think this would be really cool. Because it's, you know, it's just one of those beautiful old letters in that kind of typeface. You're right, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd love to hear about who inspired you, who made you a better writer, who gave you the advice that you live with every day that makes you a better human being. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Sarah from Casper, Wyoming. Hi, Sarah. Sarah welcome, welcome to the show. How you doing? What's going on? Well, I was wondering if you guys could shed a little light on the meaning or the origin of the phrase, a horse apiece. I'm from Wisconsin, from mm-hmm. the Green Bay area, and I grew up hearing that all the time. So, like, if someone asked if you like the blue one or the green one and you didn't care, you'd say, ah, it's a horse apiece. You know, like, it doesn't matter. And <laughs> I thought everybody said it. So I went to visit my uh, my old roommate who had moved to Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. and I said it, I don't know, just in conversation, and her roommate was like, oh my gosh, I never thought I'd meet two people who said that. Like, she'd never heard it before. <laughs> oh, really? So I started asking people, yeah, mm-hmm. so I started asking people here in Wyoming, like my coworkers, like my friends, nobody's ever heard it. Oh, my boyfriend's really? from Nebraska, he's never heard it either. Where do you think you picked it up? Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, like I said, everybody says it. I've heard it yeah. my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it basically means six of one, half a dozen of the other, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It probably comes to us from dice gambling. So there are some different games oh, really? that you play. Yeah. But if you've got a couple people playing where you want to do the best two out of three, and if the first two throws result in a tie, like you have the same role each time, then you're said to have a horse apiece. Mm-hmm. Or you're said to have a horse and a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's it, a dice oh. game called horse. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, there's a wide variety of games that might use this phraseology. And now you've got to remember, we have a lot of stuff embedded in English that goes back to a gambling culture. Tons of this stuff. We don't need oh, to get really? into it now. But this is just one of those many things, a little less obvious, that probably comes ultimately from dice gambling. So was that a game then that would only have been played in that area who knows we know that the term uh, a horse of peace and a horse and a horse was used in dice gambling in the uk so it probably was more widespread at one time and simply stuck in a particular part of the country Uh among particular Mm -hmm. people and probably has nothing to do with who they are or where they're from. Yeah. Well, I really associate it with Wisconsin. You do, I, f- yeah. I feel like We've we get a number of every single week mm-hmm. about this. We get a number of emails and calls from From it. Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. We've got our own little language up there, huh? That's yes. right. As a matter of fact, Wisconsin <laughs> is worth a lot more study. <laughs> well, cool, Sarah. I hope we're able to help you a little bit. Don't feel strange saying it, by the way. Uh, you sound just a little embarrassed, but go forth. Do it. Own it. I do. I do say it, actually. And I, my coworker, she said she's been saying it ever since I told her about it. She's trying to 
trying to get it caught on around here. <laughs> ah, yeah, you're see? a vector. There, you're a vector yep. of a horse apiece. Patient zero for spreading right. horse Evangelist. <laughs> Sarah, take care of yourself, all right? Yeah, thank you guys so much. Cheers, all right, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> all right, bye. This is a show about language and how we use it. We'll take your questions about anything having to do with language. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Remember the listener who was describing the action of closeteering? Uh, No. What was that? This was when her cat goes into the closet oh, and, and just tries yes. to find the, <laughs> the most difficult place to find the cat and goes closeteering all over the place. That prompted Tracy Lord from Valdosta, Georgia, to write us. She said, There's one perfect sunny spot on the floor by the back door. When we find one of our cats lying in the spot, my daughter says, We caught one in the cat trap. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I really, really like that. The cat trap. That's perfect. That little square of sunlight on the floor. Well, have you seen that people have been doing this online for a while? They've demonstrated that you can put a chalk square or a tape square on the floor and cats will go to it as if it were a box that they can sit in. Is that right? Supposedly. Oh, my gosh. I haven't done it with my cats yet. I should. We'll have to try that at home, right? But you know how they immediately go to an open bag or open box, right? Oh, yeah. Try to climb into a backpack or a purse even. As long as it's coming to a dark cavern, they can hide in. That's right. Yeah, the bag is much more fun than the toys you bought for it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Send us your emails about language to words at waywardradio.org. And if you just can't wait to talk with us, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is Mitch calling from Miami. Hi, Mitch. Hey, what's up, Mitch? How you doing? I'm doing well today. How are you guys doing? All right. What can we help you with? Uh, I work in the entertainment industry, mostly with theme parks and museums. And with that, we use a lot of video playback systems, so video players and and video screens. And we have a process that we call ingest, meaning we take video that somebody else has made and we put it into the system. Now, oftentimes we have to remove this video, but we don't have a word for that, like a verb that would mean the opposite of ingest in this instance. I worked a little bit around the edges of the video industry for a while, and ingest is a fairly standard term, right? Yeah, for us it is. And so a lot of times it just means you're taking video to use for your own purposes. Sometimes it's pieces of video that you're going to compile into something else, or you're, I don't even know, you're going to edit it up into something nice or small or larger or whatever. So, so you're, you're adding pieces of video well, to depends. a larger Sometimes one? Sometimes it's just a one piece of video that you put into a system so that you can use it in that system. What so do you mean a system? Um, so it could be, like he said, uh, it could be something simple as a, a, a monitor that's on a counter that just plays a movie on a oh, loop. Oh, I see. Okay. It could actually be an avid editing system or Final Cut Pro where you're putting in a lot of video all in one place and you're going to actually make an entire movie out of all these different scenes that you shot. That's okay. ingesting as well. Okay. So but it, it's all about moving video from your outside system to your primary system, whatever it is you're concentrating your attention okay, on. Okay, so you're ingesting it. You're ingesting it, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But your question then, Mitch, is when you take it off, why, why doesn't delete work? Uh, delete for us, it, it's usually a lot more involved than that because it, it means that you're removing a file, but you also have to do a lot more processes. And for our clients, if we just say, oh, just delete it, they sometimes and actually usually jump to conclusions that this can be an easy very simple process. Oh, I see. Okay. It's not that you want to bill more, that it's actually complicated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, they don't get exactly. how complicated it is. You want a fancy is. word that sounds like $200 an hour. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. 
Okay. Well, you could do the opposite ingest, maybe, but that's a little too close to ingest. Uh huh. That's not a common yeah. word. Maybe decombobulate. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> maybe um, not. Something like that. <laughs> um, it it is the the terms that we usually end up searching for and based in biology, which are usually not the most appropriate responses for something like this. Oh, really? Based in biology, yeah. like so, bodily functions so are we talking? It? <laughs> like, it, like if you ingest a meal, what usually happens if the meal comes up exactly? Uh-huh. Uh, you regurgitate it. Or, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you divest yourself of the divest. ingestion. I like that. <laughs> divest hmm. actually might. Huh. I kind of like that. I'm thinking about how the word populate used to seem so foreign to me when people would use that, like, to populate a form oh, online. Oh, right, yeah, or pop- And yeah. now it doesn't seem weird to me at all. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. That's a really good. So de- hmm. depopulate actually sounds that, kind of mean, No, that though. doesn't sound good. <laughs> that sounds, that <laughs> sounds like, it's like video side. Boy, this is a tough so one. So what else do you use besides to regurgitate? Or is there another term that you've tried <laughs> out? We've tried simply deleting, but... Like I said, people jump to conclusions about that. Um, We Mm. we really haven't found anything that works well enough for us to remember them even. Well, we'll throw the word out there. I assume you've looked at all the various video glossary archive thingies out there on the Internet, right? Yeah, yeah, we have. It's one of those things that it comes up in meetings all the time, and and Hmm. then somebody gets an idea to Google, and then... They never really find anything useful. Well, it's possible that other people are are, uh, facing the same problem, Mitch, so we'll find out. I would love that. Yeah, we have a million coiners in the audience, lots of people who like to neologize. If you've got a word for Mitch, what is he really doing? What's that process called when he takes a video out of his system? It's not really deletion. It's something more than that. Give us a call, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org. Mitch, we're going to help you. It's just going to take some time. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. We had a question sent in from Mark Baltzley from Wisconsin who wanted to know, he was thinking that there was some kind of German word that explains the act of being physically shaken by an experience of beauty, like being moved to tears by a work of art. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do have an answer for him. It's not exactly a German word. It's called the Stendhal Syndrome. Okay. Uh, It's a reference to the French writer who wrote about the dizzying disorientation that tourists experience when they go to Florence, you Mm -hmm. know, and they go to the Uffizi, and they go to all those museums and, and see all the gorgeous art and and some people just have this overwhelming emotional experience there's also something called the jerusalem i was just going to mention that yeah Yeah. exactly that same Same thing thing. people go and they're overwhelmed by the religious history of the place and thinking that this is where jesus and other figures of note may have stood right so stendhal syndrome stendhal syndrome s-t-e-n-d-a-h-l 877-929-9673 email words at waywardradio.org Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Sue Carroll Elvin. Hi, Sue. Where are you calling from? Uh, Panama City, Florida. Oh, welcome to the show. Thank you. What's going on in the panhandle? Well, uh, my husband is English, and as you may have uh, caught a little glimpse of this uh, accent, I'm Southern. And occasionally we have uh, a little difference in our wording, and... 
But lately, it's gotten to be where I uh, get my correcting for uh, putting the empty milk jug back in the refrigerator or unwrapping a, a, a present or something and just throwing the paper down rather than that. I'll say this is childish. And he says, no, 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 that's childlike. Well, this goes on and on, and um, his definition is that childlike refers to an adult and that childish refers to a youth or a, a child. And I think that childish is negative and childlike is positive. Mm-hmm. So who's right? I think you are. I do, too. Yeah. Next time he says that, you have to say poppycock because... He's just he's just redefining the words to suit his needs. <laughs> Great. Well, also, I heard another connotation. We were over at Friends watching a um, you know, silly Christmas movie, Christmas uh, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. And they had the narrator on, the cast and the crew were telling all about the movie. And I heard one of the cast say that um, the animation was childlike. And that might refer to um, childlike being um, appearance and childish, which might mean behavior, which I think I had heard Grant say that at one time. Hmm. Yeah, I think generally you're right that childish has a certain derogatory connotation, like a lot of words that end in ish, like foolish or boorish or selfish. And childlike connotes more of that charm and wonder of childhood. The innocence of a child, Yeah, the innocence. The the kind of special naiveness that makes them so wonderful to talk to sometimes. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure why that is, but, but I think it was probably influenced a great deal by the use of childish in the Bible. I would think, you know, the Apostle Paul writes about putting away childish things rather than putting away childlike things Um, in Ecclesiastes and and other books. uh, In Hebrew scripture, you talk, there's there's talk about childish leaders or woe to you, O land, when your king is childish. Um, Childlike, Ah. yeah, childlike in any of those uh, uh, contexts would be something different. It would. It would mean that you were the form or features of a, yeah. of a child. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and not so much about your um, the negative right. childlike behavior. Behavior, yeah. exactly. Now, there are a lot of nuances to both of these words, like most words in English. So it's it would be wrong to say that there's just one meaning, but Martha really nailed the key point here, which is many of the meanings of childish and all their variation are negative. And none of the meanings of childlike and all their variations are negative unless you think being a child is a problem. <laughs> yes, hopefully not. Anyway, that sounds great. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you. Take care now. Call bye-bye. Call us again sometime. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. It's the gentle disputes between couples. Yeah. Sometimes it's between fathers and sons or mothers mm-hmm. and daughters or some variation. Those gentle disputes, they often manifest in language. Mm-hmm. And they're not really about the language mm-hmm. always, are they? No, they're not. And they're a good reason to talk, right? Yeah. A good reason to sort of tease The proxy out, for know? the bigger issue yeah. can be handled through discussing language with us. <laughs> Although I think she was really glad that she was right. <laughs> Who isn't? I, I took that away. <laughs> Who isn't? If you want to be right or wrong or want us to decide who's right or wrong, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Tell us about your marital linguistic woes to words at waywardradio.org. 
Here's another great quotation I found from Kurt Vonnegut. I love this one. People have to talk about something just to keep their voice boxes in working order so they'll have good voice boxes in case there's ever anything really meaningful to say. <laughs> it's true. Isn't that the truth? But if you go a weekend without talking to people, maybe everyone else is out of town and you're just doing like the yeah. reading to yourself all weekend, yeah. your voice is a little rusty on Monday. But oh, yeah. That's not his point. Yeah. No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But you'll exercise a machine that does not need to be exercised. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's all for today's broadcast, but don't wait till next week to chat with us. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Check out our website, too, at waywardradio.org, where you'll find a dictionary, a newsletter, mobile apps, and a discussion forum. And you can listen to hundreds of past episodes for free. You can also leave us a message anytime, day or night, at 877-929-9673. Share your family's stories about language. Or ask us to resolve language disputes at work, home, or in school. You can also email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Our senior producer is Stephanie Levine. The show is directed and edited this week by Tim Felton. We have production help from James Ramsey and Tamar Wittenberg. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who believe in lifelong learning and better human communication. The show is coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Bye-bye. So long. Like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole.